0: Welcome to the Inspiring Voice Podcast. I'm Donna Restigian Mack. You know, with all the noise and the distraction in the world, are you able to hear your own inspiring voice? And are you able to use your voice to create healthy human connections so you can thrive in business and in life? This is what we do at iVoice Communication as we create a world where everyone has the confidence and ability to communicate and connect. Welcome to the podcast. A few of our inspiring voices are from people who are going to be talking about a topic I hold really, really dear to my heart, addictions. Addictions, somebody told me the other day, they said, addiction is the opposite of connection. And we all know someone, maybe a few people in your life, people who struggle, not only with addiction, but struggle hearing their own inspiring voice. Now, if this means anything to you, sit back, take a few deep breaths and maybe take some notes. I decided to share these interviews with you because I am confident that they can help someone. There is life on the other side of addictions, as you will hear from people who have been there and then transform their lives so they could help others. I call them inspiring voice healers. Now, some of this audio was recorded some time ago, and it might be crackly, but remember, it's the content that matters. So here you go, Inspiring Voice Healers on the Inspiring Voice Podcast from iVoice Communication. Peter Greenberg from inspiringvoice.com. You are our first, I'm going to call you the featured healer okay, on inspiringvoice.com. So Peter is a psychotherapist and I, in my opinion, um, a super expert psychotherapist because you absolutely know how your average individual who's struggling with addiction issues feels because, you know, you've lived it, breathed it yourself, haven't you?
1: Yes, Donna. Mm -hmm. Thanks for addressing that, because I think it's really a vital part of my history that helps me to identify with others and to be able to appreciate they're as unique as their fingerprints, but at the same time... We have generic challenges, and with addiction especially, uh, depending on the certain substances or behaviors that people get patterned into and trapped into, then there's a way out of that maze that I know for myself, and I've witnessed so many others over 30 years of processing and practicing witnessing with others, that there's ways out of the maze for everybody.
0: Love to hear that.
1: Habits.
0: Mm -hmm. Insidious. Just give us briefly an idea of where you
1: were way back when. Can you paint a brief picture? Sure. Um, I was genetically predisposed to, to addiction, and then it got activated because I grew up in the 60s and 70s where there was so much misinformation and, and ignorance about um, substances and substance use, abuse, and dependency. And I was part of a culture where socially and culturally and familially there were um, exposure to alcohol and other drugs, and so being exposed to it and having a genetic predisposition, it um, was like a spark that lit the wick in my system. And then the wick just burned faster and faster, and the substances worked less and less, and I was trapped in you know a pattern of you know self-medicating and re- using it for relief and reward kind of uh, association and then it all started to fail me and I got you know confused as to how to get out of that trap and out of that maze and I had to learn about what that meant and what that was relative to the substances in my body and mind and spirit and find my way uh, beyond being trapped in that pattern. Mm-hmm. So thankfully I was able to do so.
0: So we Trapped like that, right? When you're wrapped up in the substances, you're certainly not being honest with yourself. I'm sure you had people all around you saying, "Hey, Peter, look at this. Look at you, and look what's happening."
1: Sure. And and one of the uh, benchmarks of addiction is denial, mm-hmm. and the other benchmark is progression. So I was in denial. Uh, the culture that I was around, and the people that I was supported by, and uh, um, you know, um, socializing with were trapped as well in a lot of their own denial and then the progression was that it continued on where it made my life unmanageable inside unmanageable in terms of my own uh, clarity and confidence in myself and outside unmanageable in terms of my energy and behavior patterns and my compromises in relationships personally and professionally and so, you know, it was, it was just a quagmire. And uh, once again, being able to um, find hope and help in the community and in information and support that was out there at the time um, was, was really essential for me to begin my journey towards, you know, clarity and confidence and truth and the ability to break the pattern of denial and progression.
0: Well, what made you hit bottom in the first place? You know, that's what I hear. You have to absolutely hit bottom because you're not able to hear what's happening in reality otherwise. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I, I, I reflect on that and appreciate. Um, what helped me hit bottom was the realization that those substances were not giving the relief that they once gave me, the euphoria and the ease that they allowed for me because deep down inside I was still in a state of dis-ease and um, when I was ill at ease with myself and the substances would work, then it gave me a sense of balance and confidence and the ability and the energy to manage my responsibilities and my development. And when it started to fail me, there was an innate you know, mental awareness that it was failing me, a physical uh, dependency and, and uneasiness about the substance use and abuse and the um, the spiritual, my sense of self. I was observing myself continuing to progress down a pattern that wasn't working for me, and it was causing me more anxiety and more depressive symptoms and more uneasiness within myself, and that was the bottom. It was the realization that this isn't an answer, this doesn't work, what else in the world could help me to, you know, get out of this mess and figure myself out more honestly and more healthfully? Mm-hmm. That was my hope, mm-hmm. and thankfully, I found it.
0: Yeah, you did find it. So, so where were the first places that you found? May I
1: ask? Yeah. Well, well the first places I found were um, a therapist that was in private practice, as I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the inspirations uh, for me to change the direction of my life once I was um, clean. Sobering and recovery and healing and growing and changing. After about a year, I thought, gee, um, what, what an interesting thing. If my path has led me to a place where I could enter back into graduate school and maybe be a helpful a voice of reason for somebody else and a guide or a mentor to other people seeking their own you know, truth and freedom from the progression of denial and, and addiction. And, um, and that was the first place that I stopped. And um, the other place that I was brought to was uh, a 12-step recovery group that allowed me to see that there was a community of people uh, that had a variety of uh, lengths of sobriety and clean time that allowed me to appreciate that there really is a culture and a community out here of people seeking their own well-being. And there were certainly a high percentage of people in those uh, cultures that were healthy getting healthier. And that was attractive to me. Mm -hmm. So I could do my own personal private work in my own therapy, and at the same time, I could be part of a community of people that were really practicing a formula of well-being and self-care and self-development that I, I found attractive. So, okay, what are we talking, 25, 30 years ago? Um, 1986, so 32 years ago.
0: Okay, all right. So fast forward, 32 years later, here we are and here you are as a psychotherapist, a guy who's been living, breathing this stuff, right, for more than three decades and helping others. But it's a totally different world now. I mean, way back when there were no electronics, for instance, there were a lot more opportunities to, to connect, right, to have that human to human connection and interaction,
1: Sure. And and it was um, very humbling to be able to uh, challenge myself to out and ask for help and support. Um, As a male, maybe, and certainly coming from a culture of self-reliant survivalism, and part of the drama and the progression of my addiction was such that my self-reliance was really accelerated. It was very challenging for me to have to reach out to people. Today, I think there are some advantages to the electronics and to the communication world, which is why we do podcasts and other communicative resources for people to be able to access information and perspective that might attract them to take a risk and reach out to a community uh, source of support. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there wasn't that at the time, and it was uh, very challenging to risk the exposure and the um, the, the, uh, reaching out and asking other people for support personally.
0: Right. Well, in this day and age, what do you see? Do you see the issue of addiction getting better, or do you see the issue of addiction, considering all the electronics, right, that are interrupting just about everything. I mean, talk about disruption. Do you see things getting worse?
1: Yeah. Well, I I think the coming tools and the electronics and technology is a wonderful vehicle for information to be dispersed amongst us at the same time it can cause people to be a little bit self-reliant and isolate and, and you know seek that as an exclusive resource and I know that the humanistic aspect of reaching out and the support and engagement with other people is part of the healing practice and process and as far as addiction today I think there's so much more awareness there was so much more ignorance in the 70s and 80s, and um, there were a lot of myths around certain substances and and also um, myths around recovery, you know, that people would uh, back then think you have to really hit a capital B bottom in order to, um, you know, reach out and seek help, and there must be really something bad or wrong if there was, you know, if you need to go to a, a program and a support system. Uh, And today, I think there's less shame and less ignorance around that, and there's people that are seeking help and hope and and support and accountability with the group support systems that are out there because they really realize that it's efficient and it's effective and there's uh, a camaraderie and a kinship and a collective energy that they can draw from as opposed to just sitting and gaining information from their computers or from books and the knowledge that's out there has become so much more extensive, which is wonderful, but still the community support and the humanistic aspect of one person helping another is seemingly without parallel, uh, ultimately. So, um, uh, fortunately there's a lot of people today that don't have that same shame, uh, and judgment and sense of deficiency about themselves if they're predisposed to this illness and it's gotten activated in their system, it's very clearly defined in the culture now, and there's absolutely a lot of vehicles for hope and help for people.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned help and hope and isolation. That's huge isn't it how do you how does a person's sense of belonging fit into the picture okay so you're talking to the average individual who's struggling with habits with addictions that sense of belonging and needing people is is really huge and vital
1: it is vital and the inclusion is such a healing mechanism in the human consciousness and in system we feel uh, comforted by inclusion and validation and recognition and affection they're vitamins that are part of our vitality and when we're excluded or we're isolated and insulated in our own self-reliant survivalism there's a degree of suffering that's so much greater so very often people will say gee I've come into a group and I, I can still feel lonely in a group because it's a practice. It's a learned consciousness, and it takes time to soar out of that consciousness and for their nervous system to adjust to the value and the camaraderie and kinship of inclusion. But we we found that when people feel excluded, there's a depletion of well-being chemicals in the brain that affect the nervous system negatively. And when people are included, there's an escalation of those feel-good chemicals, and that sense of validation and support and uh, being a part of is very healing and, and helpful to the nervous system and the psyche. And of course, in cultures that are fellowship-oriented, that that's part of the healing mechanism, as well as the other tools that people are studying and developing for themselves. But that's a very main feature of support and accountability that becomes attractive to people. And the brain wants more of that once it realizes that. And that's where the key piece of people coming for hope and help is it takes a little bit of time to thaw out from one's predisposition to be able to realize the value of that kind of inclusion. And the good thing about the community inclusionary support system is that um, there's room for anybody at their own pace. And so pace not Race is the policy and attraction, not promotion, is the practice. And so people are there just sharing their own experience, strength, and hope. And then uh, people can take from it like a buffet, whatever they can relate to and identify with at their own pace, they can adjust so that there's no uh, type of obligatory pressure uh, in those group settings. Mm -hmm. Love that. Love that.
0: And how would you respond to the statement? It's okay not to be okay. And really, that statement is for men and for women, both genders.
1: Yeah. Well, it's okay not to be okay. What is okay? And that's the first challenge is for somebody to really start to figure out what okay means for them, to honor their own sense of individuality and their own sense of health and well-being and to be true to themselves and to be able to say, you know, okay is relative to me as unique as my fingerprint, then it's up to me the skills and the vocabulary and the perspective to help myself define that so that I can evolve to get closer and closer to my own core and center and balance.
0: With just a couple of minutes left, Peter, I mean, What would you suggest as we wrap things up? How best to really take responsibility? Because at the end of the day, you can get all the help, right, from outside sources that you can, but at the end of the day, it truly is your responsibility to take care of your own emotional well-being. What would you recommend? I don't know, two or three
1: or four of Peter Greenberg's greatest tips. Well, I I think um, asking for help uh, in recovery process, it's uh, acknowledged that if we're how, H-O-W, honest, open, and willing, uh, we have to be honest with ourselves and self-diagnose firstly and not be ashamed to express our our flaws and our limitations and, you know, be open and open-minded. And so we have to be open to, you know, engaging the truth and then open-minded to absorb in and learn the new language of truth. And then willingness has to be sustained like a pilot light of, you know, determination and resilience and continued motivation and passion in order to stay connected to uh, accountability and support so you know to me that all sounds like h-o-w is humble open and willing because if one humbles themselves then they're able to reach out and break that self-reliance survivalism and allow themselves to you know set up for what's most valuable which is accountability and support because we have to learn the new language and then we have to learn the new practice of consistency and without consistency we can lack continuity and without continuity we can lack a full sense of value and not be attracted to the commitment so that it can become a lifestyle and a culture that's brand new and valuable for us so so many people tend to you know struggle and and they can neutralize some of the acute pain that's going on in their life and then they are doing so much better at that point that they can you know back off from the accountability and support and the engagement and the follow-through and then often recycle their familiar pain cycles and uh, suffering so to me the most important tools are the humility and asking for help and then, you know, learning the new language, being open-minded and willing to continue to try this on for size and see if it fits comfortably and how to get it to be tailored to one's own individuality.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, It sounds like a clear case of really the need to be vulnerable, right? Humility and vulnerability kind of walk hand in hand, don't they?
1: Sure. And I think when, One is that their own awareness that they're suffering, then there can be the willingness to be vulnerable and allow for vulnerability to be a virtue rather than a fault. Mm
0: -hmm. So what's life like now? Fast forward 32 years later. Incredibly different from what it was way back when, when you
1: were caught in it all. Sure. I I think it was... um, It ended as a suffering, and before that it was a survivalism, and now it's learned and practicing being able to be able to thrive and so healthy, getting healthier physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually all four quadrants of my being are balanced and if I continue to practice this lifestyle and culture I'll sustain my balance and continue to grow which is the most exciting feature or facet of life at this stage and age versus you know um, being stuck in familiar patterns of compromise. I continue challenge myself to grow further into my recovery. And that's where I've realized the best gift of the practice and process of recovery and never stops evolving. Mm-hmm. So that's the fulfillment that continues to be, you know, the, the practice and the process of reward and relief is within, you know, the context of this lifestyle, not in the context of a substance.
0: Right. You were getting the reward and the the substance 32 years ago, but in this day and age, you're getting reward and relief from yourself, from your community,
1: and from your day-in, day-out practice. Yes, the the reward and relief, which stopped with the substances and caused me the panic and the confusion that it did 32 years ago, is now replaced with the reward and the relief of my well-being physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So all four quadrants at the time were depleted, and I was more in a yellow light, orange light, or red light energy system, and today I'm in a bright green light system. And the work and the process became a labor of love and allowed me to continue to get to this space where I could now sustain it, and I do um, with joy, mm-hmm. be able to you know trust and grow, and continue to evolve into the thriving green light energy that I always deserved and um, didn't understand at the time because there just wasn't much of it around in my own awareness. Mm -hmm. That you deserve, Peter, and that everyone
0: deserves. So thank you so very much for sharing your time with us on inspiringvoice.com. At the end of the day, it's all about being honest with yourself, first and foremost, so you can turn around and be honest with others uh, and as you work towards your recovery inspiringvoice.com where first and foremost you can hear it, hear your own inspiring voice and ultimately be it be your own inspiring voice and thank you so much for being our featured healer today on inspiringvoice.com
1: it's my blessing and thank you for inviting me thank you
0: You've been listening to our inspiring voice healers on the Inspiring Voice Podcast. People who get it, they were in deep into their own addictions, but over time transformed and continue to because it's always about progress, not perfection. The Inspiring Voice Podcast is the media outlet of iVoice Communication. We're the company dedicated to creating healthy human connections through effective communication. We do that by developing people to become confident speakers and successful interpersonal communicators. Please connect with us if you need a coach for yourself or a trainer for your workforce. Our six-week Strengthened Leadership Communication program is live and online, and it's available anywhere in the world. You can join us today at iVoiceCommunication.com. The Inspiring Voice podcast is produced by Nicholas Young, music by Jeffrey Blake, and I'm Donna Restigian Mack. We'll leave you with this. It's our hope that through a little bit of quiet every day, you can hear your own inspiring voice and be your own inspiring voice so you can create those healthy human connections and build a rich, rewarding life and career.